book of Romans. We begin the book of Romans. book of Romans is the greatest writing on New Testament salvation in all of the Scripture. It is the greatest book that has ever been written on the Gospel. Salvation. The book of Romans... Every major revival that has ever taken place in the New Testament era came, except for the early church, of course, that didn't have the book of Romans, came as a result of preaching the book of Romans. Great Awakening, Protestant movement, various moves of God through history came as a result of preaching the book of Romans. It's one of the greatest, greatest books in the Bible. It's been about five years since we preached from it. I don't even remember how long it took us to get through it. At that time, I could go and look. We spent a lot of time in great detail preaching it. But it is so vast in its writing and its theology, its teaching that it, you could literally spend years and years in this book preaching and teaching it. I think you could probably just about preach the whole Bible right out of the book of Romans. The great major faiths of the Scripture. So it is an amazing, amazing book that we're going to begin to look at this morning. We will not spend as long as we did before in it, but you will get the gist of what it is about. Okay? So looking forward to preaching the epistle of Paul, the apostle to the Romans. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me 
Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. Help me to teach it, God, to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. The epistle of the Romans was written by the Apostle Paul while he was in Corinth. He had never been to Rome at the time that he wrote the book of Romans. He will later, as you know, according to the book of Acts, he will go to Rome as a prisoner. But at this point, he had never been there. So he is not the one who started the church in Rome. Various ideas has come. Well, how, where did the church in Rome, how did it get it started? This little, little group of believers in the Roman Empire there, in the city of Rome, a Gentile nation, had some Jews in it. How did he get it started if Paul didn't start it? And by the way, Peter didn't start it either, as far as the church in Rome. So it is most likely that on the day of Pentecost, there were people who had traveled from Rome, and uh, on the day of Pentecost, there were some believers there that received the baptism of the Spirit, and then baptized in Jesus' name, and then went back to Rome and began to spread the gospel there while they were in Rome. Amen. The capital city of the Roman Empire. And so Paul, obviously being a, an apostle to the Gentiles, has a desire to go and preach to the greatest Gentile population in the world. And that's Rome. And so this is the reason he's writing the Romans. He's letting them know he has a desire to come and be with them. Now, as I said, he will, but it will be as a prisoner. But in the meantime, he writes them this, this great letter, the epistle of Paul to the Romans. And he begins it this way. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, originally, Paul's name was Saul. He went by Paul after his conversion. And obviously, Saul is his Hebrew name. Paul is his Latin name. And uh, so after his conversion, he started going by the name Paul so that he could reach Gentiles. Saul, Hebrew name, Paul. Same man. But the Bible says, he starts out, he introduces himself, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, that word servant literally means a love slave of Jesus Christ. That term, a servant of Jesus Christ, is a term, servant, is used concerning the prophets. They were known as the servants of the Lord. That means they were His slaves. They were His love slaves. They belonged to Him, to God, to Jesus, in this case, being God. 
totally and totally dedicated to their master. They are slaves. They are servants. Totally dedicated to their master. And as a servant, he would carry the orders of his master to the world. So Paul, the first thing that he says about himself, he says, I'm a love slave of Jesus Christ. I belong to Jesus Christ. He's my master. He's my Lord. I have orders that I have received from Him to carry throughout the world. And I just have decided by a choice and by a commitment to serve Him because I love Him. Because I love Him. I'm a love slave. In the Old Testament, they would take a slave and the seventh year he could go free. So they would take that slave. If he wanted to stay there as a slave because he loved his wife, he loved his master, they'd take that slave, put his ear on a, uh, a piece of wood, like on the door, and drive a hole through it with an awl. And every time you saw that man with that hole in his ear, you knew that that man was a bond slave. That that man in the Old Testament could have gone free, but because he loved the wife that he married there, because he loved his master, he decided to stay there by choice and serve his master even though he could go free. And so that ear, that piercing of the ear, the bond slave was a custom that was practiced in that day when you saw that hole in the ear of that slave, you knew that man had a choice that he made. And that choice is, is he could have gone free. He could have done something different, but he did not. He decided to continue to be a servant and a slave in his master's house by choice based on love. And that hole in his ear declared that he was a slave to his master. Now, I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but when you see people today where or men or women, it doesn't matter. You know, back in my days when I was in in high school if if a um, young man got a his ear pierced, man, we gave him a really hard time. You know, because we 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 basically looked at him, you're a sissy. I think Bishop used to have pierced ear there. Hallelujah! You know, when he first started coming to church, he was a he was a love slave. <laughs> he had a pierced ear, and you know. But anyway, today men and women wear pierced ears, and some of them, and they they fail to understand that when they do that, that what they are saying in a spiritual way, and they don't know it, but in the kingdom of the Spirit, when angels see it, when God sees it, when the devil sees it, they don't know it, but what they are saying is that they are a servant of Satan. Because the pierced ear is a picture of servitude in the Scripture. Now, the pierced ear today is not a symbol that they're serving God the pierced ear is a picture of people serving another master. And they don't know that. But they'll do it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now I never had to go to Bishop over here and say, hey man, you need to get rid of that pierced ear. He came into the church and you know, he got rid of it because the Holy Ghost began to deal with him. 
male or female. So in those days, though they took and they pierced that ear, the piercing of the ear, declared that they belonged to a master and that they served a particular master. And, and in this case, Paul says, I'm one of those bond servants. I'm serving Jesus Christ by choice because I love Him. It's not something that He had to do in one sense. In another sense, it was something He had to do. Because later on, He will say, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in one sense, He had a choice. He could have done other things. But He chose to give Himself into the service of His Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Because He loved Him that much. Amen. Say praise the Lord. So that's the term that Paul is using. Paul, a servant, a bond slave, a love slave of Jesus Christ. Paul loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He loved Him enough to go and preach. He loved Him enough to suffer and be persecuted. He loved Him enough to travel. If you study His travels, He traveled over 12,000 miles land and sea to spread the Gospel. He wasn't in the landscape. He was in the manscape. He's the greatest apostle that the world has ever seen in the church. He wrote most of the New Testament, missionaried much of the then known world. The man at one time was not a servant of Jesus Christ. At one time, he was a persecutor of the church. At one time, he was a persecutor of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he got converted, it changed everything. Instead of being one that opposes the gospel and opposed Jesus Christ and fought Jesus Christ, now he is changed. He's converted. And now, instead of opposing the work of God, he's given himself totally for it. Because he says, I'm a love slave of Jesus Christ. And because he's a love slave of Jesus Christ, he said, I'm called. We'll come back and we'll talk about Jesus Christ in a minute. He said, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ called. Called. Because he called, because God called him. He yielded to that call in his life. He was called. And in that call, God was going to send him to preach the word of God. And so because Paul was sent, Paul went. There are some people today who are sent. I mean, they, let me put it this way. They, they go, they went, but they're not sent. But Paul says this, to get it all out of the way, he says, I'm a love slave of Jesus Christ. And he says, I'm not doing this because this is something I want to do for an occupation. It's, it's not something I'm doing for money. It's not something that to, just to be doing. I am doing this because Jesus Christ, I love Him, and He called me. Now, there are people today that they just went. They're not sent. And they do it for a lot of different reasons. Maybe it's the glory. Maybe it's the power that they have. Maybe it's the money they make. I don't know what motivates everybody. But in the Bible if you went, 
and you weren't sent, God brought a strong rebuke to you. The Old Testament prophets or prophets or New Testament prophets or whatever New Testament people, if they went into the ministry and they weren't sent by God into that ministry, God came and gave them a heavy rebuke. It is not something, brothers and sisters, I know all of you love the Lord, at least most of us, it is not something that one day you wake up and say, okay, I'm going to be a preacher. If you, if you decide I'm going to be a preacher for whatever reason and you're not called by God to do that, you're going to be in big trouble with the Lord. I'll put it to you this way. If you went and you weren't sent, you better pack your tent up. You better fold your tent. Because you are absolutely not free to go into the ministry without being called into the ministry by God. No human being can put you in the ministry. No church organization can put you in the ministry. It is God that calls an individual into the ministry. And what a great privilege and honor it is to be called. In fact, Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, the President of the United States is not the, the highest position in the land. He said, the preacher in the pulpit is the highest position in the land. That was Abraham Lincoln. And it's, it's, it's not something you can choose to do. It's something that you have to be called into. And of course, you respond by choice. If you're not called to do it, don't even try. In fact, wise counsel would be this. If I could give you wise counsel, I would tell everybody, I would tell Brother Jonathan and Brother Timothy and, and Sister Melvis and Gosa and anybody here today that feels called into the ministry, do anything you possibly can but the ministry. If you can possibly somehow Live with yourself and be satisfied in life and not go into the ministry. Don't go into the ministry. The problem is, there's a catch to that. Because if you're called by God, you can never live a satisfied life. You will be absolutely, totally miserable if you don't fulfill the call of God in your life. But if you can possibly do anything else in life but do in the ministry, do that. Don't do the ministry. Isn't that strange that I would stand up here and tell you, don't do the ministry? Well, what did I say? If you cannot do the ministry, don't do the ministry. If it's possible for you to live satisfied without doing the ministry that God's called you to. Amen? But the problem is, if you're really called by God to do it, you'll never be satisfied. You'll never be happy until you say, okay, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
I'm going to surrender to that call in my life and I'm going to serve you. And when you do, brothers and sisters, there's something on the inside of you, you'll be willing to pay, uh, give up high-paying jobs. You'll give up houses. You'll give up all kinds of things to be able to fulfill the call of God that's in your life. And people are going to look at you and they think you've lost your mind. And I don't just say that flippantly. I say that by personal experience. And I'm not going to get into personal testimonies. But when God is really calling you, it's not like, okay, one morning you get up and say, I'm going to be a preacher. And then the next day you change your mind. And then a week later, I'm going to be a preacher. And then you change your mind. If you're called, somebody say, well, how do I know if I'm called in the ministry? Every day that you live, you constantly have that call on the inside of you. And even if you run from it and you don't want to do it, it won't let you go. And that's all you can think about all the time is doing the work of God in ministry. That's how you know. If it's an emotional thing that one day I'm called, the next day I'm not called, You'll never make it. The only thing that will keep you going in ministry is the call of God in your life because you are going to have so much that you're going to deal with. Your trouble will just begin when you enter into the ministry. And the only thing that will keep you doing it is the call of God in your life. So if you called yourself or you just went and you weren't sent you will never survive it. You'll quit. Because there's so much to it that you don't know. I remember when Brother Dice, I told Brother Dice, I said, Brother Dice, I'm fixing to, we're starting a church in Odessa. And in, that, in those days, I was in an organization. And in those days, I took all, I, I did the proper procedures that were required of me. Okay? All the, all the steps I had to take all the approvals I had to get, all that stuff. I didn't do this out of rebellion. I didn't do this to do my own thing, to be in rebellion. I took all the necessary steps, proper approaches with men that I should take so I'd be accountable in what I'm supposed to do. Right? And I told Brother Dice, my mentor who's with God now, I said, Brother Dice, I'm going to start a church in Odessa. And I was thinking, man, he's going to say, all right, Brother Carter, that's awesome. Man, wow. We need another church in Odessa. You know, yeah. Right, right, right. He didn't do that. You know what he said to me? He said, Brother Carter, your trouble is just now starting. And I said, I know, Brother Dice, but I have to do it. I have to do it because God's called me to do it. And I remember when I was in, in an organization, big organization, Jesus' name, One God Apostolic Organization. I got two levels of ministry license when I was in that organization. They have what's called local license and general license. And then the last ones, they call it ordination. You have to preach a certain amount of time and you have to read certain materials to become local minister and then general license and then ordination follows that. So I got two levels of ministry when I was in the organization. And on that application, before I went to that board and got the approval from that board, one of the questions was, 
why are you wanting to preach? And I wrote down simply what Paul said. And that is, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what I wrote. Because when you go into the ministry, it is because God has called you into that ministry. And you're going to go through so much daily. You're going to die daily. You're going to go through so much, you're, you're not want to, at times want to continue. But the call of God keeps you going. It keeps you going. And if you're not called, I'm telling you right now, if you're not called into the ministry, don't do it. If you are called into the ministry, you'll have to do it because you won't be able to live with yourself. So when Paul writes in the Romans, he says, I'm a servant, I'm a love slave of Jesus Christ. And because I'm a love slave of Jesus Christ, I've surrendered to His call in my life. I'm called. I'm called an apostle. An apostle in Scripture. Without getting into too much detail, an apostle, what is an apostle? You have apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. What does an apostle do? Apostle is somebody who starts a new work. Okay? An apostle is the kind of person like the Apostle Paul and Peter and some of those others. They would go into new territories and they would start new works. So an apostle locates the place. Okay? Apostle starts the work. They're the pioneers. They're the founders of a work in a particular area. And apostles lay foundation. They lay doctrinal foundation. They lay foundation as in the area of government. How the church is to be governed and function. So an apostle is somebody who lays foundation. Okay? Pioneers of churches. And oftentimes an apostle will come and there will be a work that will be started and he doesn't stay there. He doesn't pastor that church. He just... He finds the place. He starts the work. He appoints elders. He puts elders in place. Sets them in place. And leadership in place. And he goes to another area. He starts another work. Some apostles do become pastors. But some don't. So an apostle then is somebody, and in the strict sense of the word, the word apostle means to be sent. So because He loves Jesus Christ and because He's called and because He's sent, He went. He is an apostle. The same When you say missionary, missionary means the same thing as apostle. Missionary means to be sent. So He is an apostle. The one who goes and lays foundation and sets order in church government. That's why if you get an apostle on your hand, he may be a pastor, he may not be a pastor, but an apostle always going to be concerned about order. Apostle cannot handle a church that is in chaos and confusion and 
an apostle can't handle people doing their own things and not being accountable because their focus is order and church government and accountability and you understand? Doing it the way God wants it to be done. That's An apostle is always going to be thinking about order. So the Apostle Paul, because he's a love slave and because he's called by God, he is an apostle. He's sent by God. And because he's sent, he went. And he did an awesome job. He goes on and uses another term. He says separated. Separated unto the gospel of God. That word separated is really interesting. You talk about separation, you're talking about holiness. But separation, a lot of times when people think about holiness, and maybe when you think about holiness or separation, you're thinking about the things you're giving up that are not good. You're thinking about, well, I, I'm, I'm going to live a holy life, so i got to stop this and i got to stop that. But holiness is not just about what you take out. Because if all you're doing is removing from your life, there's a vacuum. So holiness is simply this. It's set apart unto God for His service. And when we're, if we remove things out of our life, it's because it's something that God doesn't want us to be practicing. Amen? But you can't be just removing stuff out of your life without being dedicated to something. And so Paul is said, I'm separated, I'm dedicated to God. That means there's no void, there's no vacuum because it's not that I'm just removing something out of my life. It's what I'm dedicated to. And what you're dedicated to, if you, if you understand separation that way, then there's no vacuum. If you're going through life and, and you look at holiness and, and you look at it from the viewpoint of everything that you can't do because you've you got to live holy, you've missed the point. Because holiness means to be dedicated to something, not just dedicated from something. And when you understand that you're separated unto the gospel of God, you're dedicated to Him. You won't be walking around with an empty place and void and a vacuum in your life because of everything that you're having to give up. Because I'm going to tell you this, anything that you give up for God, God's got something better to take its place. If He requires of us to give some things up, it's because He's got something better to take its place. So we don't live a life like, you know, where we're the holy people. You know. And where we go to church, we can't do this and we can't do that. And it's not about that. It's about being, I'm just simply this, I'm dedicated to Jesus Christ. I'm holy. I'm not empty this morning. I'm satisfied. And what is interesting is this, I'll fix it to probably tell you something you don't know. But the word separated from the Greek literally means this. O-F-F, off. 
horizoned. Off horizoned. Off horizoned. So let me explain what I'm talking about. Is the horizon, you look out and you see the horizon, right? You keep looking, you see the horizon. And, a, you know, just a big old circle. Horizon. Your horizon is your big circle. And you're standing in the center of it. At one point, the Apostle Paul was a, a Jewish man. He was had a zeal for God, but he persecuted the church. And he was standing in that circle. And then God came. Jesus came, met him on the road to Damascus. And when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus picked him up out of his horizon, off-horizoned him, and put him in God's circle. Where whatever God takes you out of separation, off horizon, the way that you used to be, the way that you used to live, that's off horizon. When the world looks at me, I'm off horizon. I'm not living in their horizon. No more. I used to, but no more. No more. Jesus Christ came and by way of salvation picked me up out of that horizon that I used to live in, He off-horizoned me, and He put me in His circle, and now I am going out and I'm fulfilling His purpose in my life. I'm off-horizon. I'm separated unto God. And let me tell you, wherever God places you, however He off-horizons you, you better stay in that place. Because if God put you in a new horizon, that's where you have to be. And if you remove yourself out of God's horizon, you've got big trouble coming down your road. One thing about it you do not and I do not want to do, and that is to get out of the will of God. I don't want to step out of the place that God planted me and put me for whatever reason, my mind, whatever. Because if I do, trouble's coming. And so Paul said, I'm separated. I'm dedicated to God. I'm off horizon. He's taken me out of my old life and put me into a new purpose. And now I'm living for Him. I'm not living for myself. I'm not calling my own shots. I'm not doing my own thing. I'm doing what God has placed me in the kingdom. Somebody said praise the Lord. A love slave of Jesus Christ called to be a sent one. Separated. Unto what? Unto something. Not from something, but to something. Unto the Gospel of God. He put me in the circle to spread this Gospel. The gospel of God. And as we go through it very quick, I won't try, you know, you can see, you can spend a lot of time preaching the book of Romans just word by word, giving understanding to it. That's how awesome it is. But as we move on, these first 17 verses of the first chapter is an introduction. And Paul is talking about his apostleship and his call. 
he talks about he's separated unto the gospel of who? Isn't that interesting? A servant of Jesus Christ separated unto the gospel of God. So already we find out Jesus, Yahweh's Savior, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus' name means Yahweh's Savior. Jesus Christ, the Anointed One. And now we find out that He is a servant of Jesus Christ. But now He said He's separated unto the Gospel of God. Which means that Jesus Christ is none less than God come in the flesh. Because if you preach any other Gospel... The gospel of God must be about Jesus Christ. And if you preach any other gospel, then you don't have the gospel of God. You've got some other God. There is only one God and His name is Jesus. And when you preach the gospel of God and declare people who Jesus Christ is and what He has done, you are preaching the gospel of God. And it's called the gospel of God because it came from God. It didn't come from you. You didn't make it up. You didn't decide how to preach it. You didn't know, you didn't decide what message to preach. The gospel of God. God originated it. God told us what to preach. He told us who to preach about. And if we're preaching another God, if we're not preaching this gospel, we're preaching another God. Jesus Christ is the one God of the Bible. And Paul said, I'm separated unto the gospel of God. And four times in this first few verses of chapter 1, the word gospel is used. In fact, in verse 16, this is the theme of the whole book of Romans, is the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There it's called the gospel of Christ. In verse 1, it was called the gospel of God. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's the theme of the book of Romans, the gospel. Amen. The word gospel, gospel, God's spell. Old English word, God's spell. God's spell, God's spell. This is God's letter to us. God's spell means good news. Paul said, I'm, I'm coming. And he says it four times in these first 17 verses. He uses that word gospel good news he said i'm separated into the good news about god and what is that good news all about it's about how god came and intervened in order to deliver mankind it's how god came to bring man back into a relationship with himself the good news is that sinners like you and I can be saved by the intervention of God Almighty. Not deserving it. But He's the one that originated it. He's the one that provided it. And by grace we receive it. God's 
spell God's gospel. The good news. What is the good news? Well, when we look at it, as I said four times mentioned, I'll read it in just a moment. But let's go over and let's look. Hallelujah. Fifty-two seven of Isaiah. Isaiah fifty-two and verse seven. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth what good tidings, that publish peace, that bring good tidings of of good that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. What's the good news then? According to Isaiah, it's how God is coming. In this section here of Isaiah, it's when God comes and intervenes, the people are scattered into captivity, and God comes and takes them out of captivity and restores them back to the land. The good news is that God is bringing you out of your captivity. Not to a land, but back to His presence. I was alienated from God. I was separated from God in my sin. But He made a way. He intervened. He came. The good news is how God came to save sinners. How He reached it. By His intervention into our life. And brought us into relationship with Him. That's the good news. That's, that's Old Testament. Now, Paul was a Jewish man. And when he writes the book of Romans, he is constantly quoting Old Testament Scripture because he is steeped in the Old Testament. He's going to show you by his writings. He didn't come and bring something new. What He is bringing is fulfillment of what was promised in the Old Testament. And because He's a Jewish, or was a Jewish rabbi, He is steeped in Old Testament Scripture. He understands what Isaiah said about salvation and God's intervention in His people's lives to bring them back. Somebody said Amen. That's Old Testament. That's Scripture. That's Scripture as a whole. But then there is the picture that is given in that day. Gospel in that day. In the Roman Empire, when somebody said Gospel, even if you weren't a Christian, your your ears went like, wow. Your eyes got big. Because this was the term that was used by the Caesars, like Augustus. And he said, the Caesar said, when we rise to power and we're ruling and we're reigning, that's good news for the world. Because the Caesar is on the throne. Augustus is on the throne. Celebrate world. It's good news. And that's how the Roman Empire used it is when the Caesar ascended to the throne, he would declare to everybody the good news. But the political powers of Rome is not the good news. No, the Caesars 
like Augustus reigning on their throne is not the good news. The good news is found only by faith in Jesus Christ that He brings salvation to lost humanity. And so when Paul used these terms, the Romans would say, okay, we have Caesar. He calls himself Lord. And he says, it's good news when he sits on the throne for the world. But Paul says, oh no, no. The gospel is about Jesus Christ. He is the true Lord. He is the true God. And the true Savior of the world. The true Deliverer. Paul got their attention. If you were a Jew, he got your attention. Because the Jews understood about how God delivered them out of captivity. Good news. The Romans understood good news when the Caesars ascend to the throne. That's supposed to be good news for the world. And Paul is telling them, no, it's the gospel of God. It's the gospel of Christ. He's the only one. Four times, I'll read them to you. Verse 1, and then verse 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel. Good news of His Son. So it's called gospel of God. Now it's called gospel of His Son. It's called gospel of Christ. In verse 16. For God is my witness, verse 9, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son. That without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse 15, so as much as in me, as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel of the good news to you that are at Rome also. He's an apostle to the Gentiles. So no, no doubt he would want to go there and preach to the greatest Gentile population in the world. Judea was the, was the religious headquarters of the world. Rome was the governmental headquarters of the world and the gospel went all the way from Jerusalem all the way to Rome in a short period of time. And no doubt Paul, because he's an apostle to the who? Gentiles. He wants to go and preach to the greatest Gentile empire city there is. Hadn't been there yet. That little old church... At that time, small community of believers in the Roman Empire, capital city of Rome. There they were. He says, I want to come see you. I desire to come see you. But in the meantime, I'm going to write you a letter about the gospel. The good news. Verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He says the gospel, in the gospel, you have the power of God manifested. In the gospel, the power of God is released. When you preach the good news about God, the good news of Christ, the good news of His Son, when you preach that message of how God has intervened to save mankind out of sin, And take them back to Himself. 
when you preach that, Paul says you're releasing the power of God because the power of God is located in that message. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm not ashamed of the gospel to stand up and preach it to you. I'm not ashamed of the gospel to preach it in the stores. I'm not ashamed of the gospel to preach it on the corners. I'm not ashamed of the gospel to take it to wherever God wants me to go in different nations of the world because I'm not ashamed of the gospel because when it's preached, it releases the power of God to save man. It's more powerful than the Roman might. It's the power of God and the salvation. And when that letter was written to the Romans, they no doubt could hear the marching of the Roman armies, the legions of armies. And Rome said, that's where our might is and our power is in those legions of marching armies. But Paul says, no. There's something more powerful than the Roman armies. There's something more powerful than the Roman Empire. There's something more powerful than Augustus Caesar. And it's the gospel of God. And when it's preached, it releases the power of God. Unto salvation to who? To everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's for everybody. The gospel, Paul is saying, it's not just for the Jews. When he first started in persecuting the church, in his mind, salvation was only for the Jews and only Jews could be saved. But now he knows there's salvation is not just for the Jewish people. It's for the whole world. Everybody, everywhere who believe. More powerful than the Caesars. More powerful than the Roman armies. More powerful than anything in the world. Anything in the world. It's more powerful than an atomic bomb. There's nothing in the world more powerful than the gospel of Jesus Christ. If it's believed. When you believe it, that power is released in your life. If you don't believe it, it lays available for you. And when, when it is preached, the captives are set free. When it's preached, God moves in that message and begins to go to deliver people out of their captivities from their addictions. How dare any of us ever get religious after all that God has done for us. There's nobody in this church that has a right to fold your arms like this and be indifferent concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ. You better believe I've got a zeal for this. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. I haven't lost that power. I still got it inside of me. I didn't deserve it, but he gave it to me. And you didn't deserve it, but he gave it to you. The good news of the gospel of God. He originated it. He is the one that provided it. And He gave us the message to preach it. And when we do, everybody that responds to it will be saved. Because they're not just responding to a way. They're responding to Jesus.
The message I have that I preach to you is not just letters on a page. The message I have. In fact, if you, if you really need to know, and you do, Christ is the Gospel. He is the Gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the Gospel of Christ. He is the Gospel. When I preach to you who He is and what He's done, and you believe He is that, the Son of God, you'll automatically obey that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. You'll be water baptized in Jesus' name, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sin. You shall receive the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues. All i got to do is preach Jesus. You get up and start, you start talking about philosophy and psychology and you start talking about things that's not the gospel. There's no power in that. But when you preach the gospel, it's the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing like it on the planet. And I pray to God today that you receive the good news so that the power of God can be released in your life. Four times it's mentioned the theme again, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel Christ, for it's the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. Amen. And we stop there. Because beginning with verse 18 through chapter 3 and verse 20, we have a declaration of the wrath of God upon all mankind who are in sin. So God starts, Paul starts preaching about the good news and then he shifts and begins to preach about the wrath of God. Why would he do that? Because you will never understand how good he is and how great this news is until you know how bad you are. Until you know that you deserve the judgment of God Almighty, the wrath of God Almighty, it's not going to come on sin. It's His attribute that's constantly against sin. And so Paul will begin to write and talk about just how sinful and how evil and wicked the world is, beginning with verse 18 through chapter 3 and verse 20, so that you and I will appreciate the good news. I think that's the reason why maybe us in America and other people don't, don't appreciate the Word of God like we should, the Gospel we should, because we don't know how bad we were. In fact, how bad we are without it. And I won't get into that section today, but it's good news. Look at your neighbor and say, good news. It's not Caesar that brings good news. It's not political powers that bring good news. They can announce good news. But the good news is found in faith in Jesus Christ. If today you're, you're all depressed. If today you walk in here and you've got a frown on your face. If you're discontented and you're empty. I give you good news. Hallelujah! Yes, sir. Give you good news. Jesus has won the battle. He's won the fight. 
And you get to participate in that victory. Got a fight last night on Mayweather, you know. He won. Well, he was happy, wasn't he? He won. You know, even the other guy's pretty happy. He made over a hundred million dollars for losing. Mayweather, from what I understand, made three hundred fifty million dollars. No wonder he was happy. But I have something greater than that to tell you. You were on your way to a devil's hell. You were going to burn forever in eternity because you were separated from God. And God came and intervened and, and provided a way to pull you out of hell and give you eternal life. Hallelujah to the Lamb. I guarantee you, you ought to be standing up doing this. You shouldn't be. Forgive me, but I just don't get it. Oh, I know what the problem is. But I don't get that. Because God is so good to provide salvation for lost sinners. There's nobody like Him. And so what He does is in the verse 18 and then through chapter 3 verse 20, He talks about horrible sin, man. He puts that diamond of the gospel on a black velvet background. Hallelujah. He's saying, man, this is how bad. This is how bad it is. And then verse 2. Another theme here. Which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. See, Paul is saying, I'm not coming up with a new message. He said, what I'm preaching is in the Old Testament Scriptures. He's a Jewish apostle. He knows that Old Testament. And he says, this is the fulfillment days. This is the fulfillment days. Brothers and sisters, you're not in shadow land anymore. You're in fulfillment time. As you sit here in the church today, this is the message of the church that we preach and this is the reality of it. It's not a shadow. It's reality. It's substance. Hallelujah. And it's in Jesus Christ. Which He had promised afore by His prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This is the fulfillment of the promise of God, said Paul. Concerning His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right off this theme. Concerning who? What's the gospel of God? It's, it's a message about Jesus Christ. Amen. The Lord Amen. Jesus Christ. Amen. Notice he doesn't just say Jesus Christ. In Romans 8 verse 1, he calls him Christ Jesus. At times, see, they, they use those terms very carefully. In the Gospels, the focus is the name of Jesus. Jesus. Because the Gospels give you a picture of, of God coming in humanity in humiliation to die for us. Please do not disregard what I'm saying. The name of Jesus then, when it is used, it is God, the God of the Old Testament, come in the form of a man in order to save us. But when you use the term Jesus in the Gospels, that's speaking about His humiliation. 
how God who became a man came to die for us. When you use the term Christ, you're using a term which means the anointed one. Prophet, priest, and king. Christ means the exalted one. The anointed one. This is God manifesting Himself in the flesh to die for you. Christ. Prophet, priest, and king. Three theocratic offices in the Old Testament. Prophet. Why did God send prophets? Because in the fall, man's mind was darkened. And so God raised up men and anointed them to be prophets, to preach the Word of God because their minds were darkened. Their light could come into their minds. Priest. God in the Old Testament anointed priests. Why, Why did He anoint priests? Because in the fall, man's emotions fail. His conscience is defiled. So God knew man needed a priest to come and lift his emotions up. How do you do that? By offering a sacrifice to remove guilt. And when the guilt is removed... The depression leaves when the guilt lifts off the person's life. The discouragement leaves. When the guilt is lifted, the emotions lift. And so God knew we needed a priest because in our emotions we had fallen. And then the third theocratic office in the Old Testament was the king. And the king directed the wills of the people. And because we didn't know what what we should do, we didn't know what to do with ourselves, what to do with our life, we needed direction. So He is your King that comes and directs your life. He tells you what to do. So we needed a prophet to enlighten our minds that were darkened. We needed a priest to remove the guilt out of our lives so that we could have our emotions lifted. We needed a king to tell us how to live and what to do with our life because we don't have a clue. And so He is... Jesus, the humble one, the one who died, God in the flesh, Christ, the exalted one. He fulfilled the offices of prophet, priest, and king. That's His office. Hallelujah. And Christ, the title Christ, explains His name, Jesus. But He's not just Jesus Christ, the humble one, exalted. He's the Lord. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Lord. The word Lord there means deity. Deity. Hallelujah. This message we preach today, I don't, I don't know where you are in your mind. I don't know where you are in your emotions today. I don't know where you are. You might not know what to do. But Jesus is your everything. He intervened. Hallelujah. I'm going to say it again. He is my champion this morning. He's everything you need.
Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Whatever you got to do to get to Jesus, get to him this morning. If you got to call to him, if you can run, run to him. Whatever you got to do, get to him. Because he's the one that brings rest. It's the good news. First theme is the gospel. The second theme is the Old Testament scriptures. Third, and most importantly, it concerns Jesus Christ, the Lord. Just real quick, Romans 8 and 1, turn there, it's worded a little bit different. Romans 8 and 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Notice it's termed there, Christ Jesus. Sometimes it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's Jesus Christ the Lord. Sometimes it's Christ Jesus. Sometimes Jesus Christ. The re- it's, there's, a, there's a focus that's taking place when those names are used a certain way. When the apostle said, Jesus... The focus is His humiliation. God who became a man has come to die for us. Jesus Christ. But Jesus, the one who was humiliated, is now exalted and sits on the right hand of God Almighty. He is the Lord. So if it's Jesus Christ, it's the humble one exalted. If it's Christ Jesus, it's the exalted one who was humble. Which means the one who came and died for you. And in the epistles, in the gospels, the focus is his humiliation. In the epistles, the focus is his exaltation because he's risen from the dead. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the sarks, Greek word sarks, flesh. He says, Jesus was a man. Jesus was a man. He's the seed of David according to the flesh. He is a man. Holy, fully, and completely man. Having a body, soul, and spirit. Now what I just said right there will help you it will keep you from having to wade through literally hundreds of pages of theology. Because in, in the early church, I mean, not the early church, but in church history, they tried to define and break down who Jesus was and did Jesus have the Spirit and was He completely man or was He just a ghost? I mean, it is. so I'm just telling you, what I say in that statement is big time. Jesus was the seed of David according to the flesh. He has a right to the throne. According to the flesh. He was completely man. That means Jesus had a human body, He had a human soul, and He had a human spirit. But He was more than just a man. He was God. Come in the flesh. So Jesus had a dual nature. No such things as two persons in the Godhead. Jesus, all the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him. Jesus had two natures. Whole, complete man, body, soul, and spirit, and 100% God at the same time. That's what incarnation means. Incarnation means when God 
put on humanity. Incarnation. The good news. No wonder. He says this is the good news concerning Jesus Christ, the Lord. Hallelujah to the Lamb. Declared to be the Son of God. Now he moves from just focusing on his humanity. Declared to be the Son of God with power. How? According to the Spirit of holiness, according to the Holy Spirit, by the resurrection from the dead. So this whole man is not just a man. This man is the Lord who rules the universe. The one who died but now is risen from the dead and sits on the right hand of God Almighty. Risen from the dead. By the power of God. Turn the world upside down, man, this message. <laughs> they didn't know what to do with these Christians when they went and preached. People getting converted by the thousands. The Roman Empire had never seen, as we said in the book of Acts, had never seen anything like it. I just got through helping my son do a research paper for his school. And we did that research on the book of Acts. The Roman Empire has never seen anything like this. The message they preached, the power it brought, they saw people changed and delivered. A brand new creation. They saw people who once opposed the gospel now preaching the gospel. Hallelujah. Changed people. He declared the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. The fourth theme, verse 5, by whom we have received grace. Isn't that amazing? Grace. How many sometimes you sit there and you say, I don't know if I'm able. I just don't know if I'm able. I don't know if I'm able. I've been there. So I don't know if I'm able. Grace means God's, literally, it means God's enabling power. Amen. It's not something I deserve. It's not something you deserve. But God, that power He talks about that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you by grace. It's God's enabling power. And when He said, I don't know if I can do it, God says, I'll give you the grace that you need. You don't deserve it, but I'll enable you to do it. Hallelujah! Grace is simply this. God's enabling power. Brother Dice used to interpret the term grace this way when he would teach. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. The grace of what an amazing message. I will say this to you today. Your problem is not God. Your problem is people. Your problem is yourself. But it's never God. He's the one that has intervened. And by His grace enables us, number one, to be saved. Number two, to stay saved. Yes, sir. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Grace. By whom we have received grace and apostleship 
For obedience to the faith. Fourth thing. Fourth thing. Obedience to the faith. In Romans 16, Paul ends the book of Romans with the same book book end as I come to a close. Romans 16 in verse 26, but now is made manifest and by the Scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all nations for obedience of faith. Paul starts out the book of Romans and talks about obedience of faith. He ends the book of Romans talking about the same thing. Obedience of faith. If you really have faith, truly have faith, you're walking in obedience. If you're not walking in obedience to God's Word today, you don't have faith. Because you cannot separate faith from your obedience. Faith must have obedience, but also, brothers and sisters, obedience must have faith. In who? Jesus Christ. It's not just faith, but it's faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith in Jesus Christ will produce obedience. So Paul starts out, bookends him with the same thing. Obedience of faith. If your faith today is not producing obedience, if my faith today is not producing obedience to the Word of God, we are not in faith. So when we look at our life, even James talked about in his writings, faith without works is dead being alone. Show me your faith by your works. He says. And some people say, well, James is different from Paul. No, Paul is preaching the same thing. Faith and obedience go together. Say, I believe in Jesus. I love the Lord. How many of y'all seen people in the world? You know, they say, I love Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. They hadn't been to church in years. They wouldn't know God if they met Him in Walmart. But they're saved on their way to heaven. I got faith in Jesus. No. If you're not obeying Him, you don't. Because faith and obedience cannot be separated. That's a part of the Gospel. You say, well, that's works. That's law, you know. No, faith. Plus obedience. Is what Paul says. For obedience to the faith. It's for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. For His name. What's His name? Jesus. Amen. So I think, let me make sure I got got the Gospel. One, Old Testament. Two, Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. Three. Four, obedience to the faith. Amen. You could probably put Jesus Christ Amen. Leave it that way. Among whom are you also called of Jesus Christ? To all that be in Rome beloved of God called not to be saints, saints. If you're in the church, you're already a saint. 
called saints. Look at your neighbor and say, if you know their name, call them saint. This is Saint Jonathan. Saint Jonathan. Saint John. Saint Lemons. This is Saint Timothy Contreras. Now that sounds better, doesn't it? Saint Contreras. That fits more with the Roman theme, doesn't it? Saint Lamonis, maybe. If we do it that way, Lamonis. Yeah. Saint Lemons, that don't go with Romans, but Saint Lamonis. Saint Contreras. Timothy Contreras. Timotheus Contreras. If they're a believer in the church, every one of you saints. So if you are a saint, you go. No way. Right? You go, no, I'm not a saint. The only saint I have is my Saint Bernard. My dog. No, you're a saint. If you're a believer, you're a saint. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a saint. Saint Contreras. Saint Lamonis. Saint Fino. Sounds good, doesn't it, man? Praise the Lord. You're all saints if you're saved. Believe it, you don't have to get canonized. Or whatever they call it. You die, and then you got to make sure you work so you know good enough. And then, okay, we're going to... Now, now they're a saint. Not to be a saint. It's called a saint. Man, I, we started walking around and saying, Hello, Saint Lamonis. He'd probably start walking here. You know? Trying to live up to the name. If you just call him John, he'll be John. You call him Saint John. He'll probably get tingling in his fingers like I do right now. What's your name, Saint John? He'll walk around with this, you know, this look, heavenly look on his face, otherworldly look on his face. Who are you, Saint? <laughs> I'll tell you, man, what you call people makes a difference. Right? Maybe us husbands, we need to look at our wives and call them. Andreas, next time you address your wife, call her Saint Thomas. Might make a difference. And then Melvis, who you address Andreas, say Saint Thomas. It's going to make a whole change. Saint Michael. Maybe some of us, you know, what, what I'm going to do with my name, St. Jerry. Oh, wow. Boy, that's, man, that's really, that's impressive. No, call me St. Jerome. <laughs> I'm 
guarantee you, man, you start calling people in the church saint, hey, they'll start changing. They'll be different. He didn't even give her a chance to respond. He he took it. But I'm preaching to the saints right now. I, whether you realize it or not, I'm preaching to the saints in Odessa, Texas. The saints in the Odessa, Texas. You need to probably get that in your mind. I'm a saint. When you give me the morning, I'm a saint. When you think like that, you live like that. You get up in the morning and say, you're, you look at your children, you, you're a devil. Well, you're going to be a devil all day. Get up and say, I'm a saint. And you'll, you'll act like a saint. you got to know who you are. Amen. Is helping anybody? Now don't call them a saint if they're not a believer. You can't walk up and tell everybody. You can't call everybody a saint. St. Jared sounds good. That sounds good. St. Cannon. He's got it all together, man. I'm a cannon. I'm a canonized saint. I mean, you got it all together, dude. You know, I mean, your name. What are you? I'm a canonized saint. Oh, you go to the Roman Catholic Church? No. I'm, I'm in the church of Rome, but I'm preaching. I mean, saints are out there. Why are y'all so reluctant? Because you still got that Catholic background in you. You, you, you waiting to die, bad, waiting for it to pray the rosary over you. <laughs> Make sure mama... Gives the church enough money to get you out of purgatory, right? Anyway. And then Paul begins to talk, and I'll jump over that, but he talks about how he wants to go and visit them. Also the Gentiles when he's going to preach in Rome. And he couldn't catch a plane like we do. He'd have to travel by land and sea. It's a rough old road, man. Hard, hard to travel in those days. Of course, the Roman roads made it nice. But the Bible then goes on and tells us, as I come to a close, and I've already told you that, but I'll come to a close again. It's preaching the gospel. The good news. Now, if you want to know more definition about the gospel, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, Paul talks about what the gospel is, how he declared them again. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 17, for therein, therein is the righteousness of God revealed. It's revealed in the gospel. The righteousness of God revealed. Righteousness, very quickly, righteousness, or to be made righteous, means that now you're in right standing or you're justified 
literally in the scripture it means to be in the right relationship so the gospel then puts us literally in a right relationship with God we were separated from God but now we can come into his presence and be in fellowship with him because he made us righteous and it's not something that you and I did ourselves it's something that he gave righteousness and just a few scriptures and I I'm going to cut back on the reading that I was going to read, but just a few scriptures. Go to Psalm 50 real fast. And I'll talk to you about righteousness. What is it? That's the definition. But ultimately, God is righteous. Amen. I love preaching the book of Romans. You can get carried away. It's just such a beautiful book, man. There's so much in it. You just get carried away. Psalm 50. The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to the going down thereof. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God is shine. Our God shall come and shall not keep silence. The fire shall devour before him. It shall be very tempestuous round about him. He shall call to the heavens from above and the earth that he may judge his Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice, and the heavens shall declare righteousness his righteousness for God and His judgments. Look at verse 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee. So that word righteousness is really connected to the good news. Because in this psalm, it shows us that it's an attribute of God, how that in His righteousness, He judges the wicked. But in His righteousness, He comes to once again, we see it, deliver us and to bring us into relationship with God. Deliver us from sin. Deliver us from captivity. And bring us into relationship with God. So what is it? What is it? God is imparting this justification. God is saying, I justify you. I put you in right standing with me. I put you in a relationship with me. It is something that God is offering. It's what God offers to those that believe. Yes, He's going to judge the wicked. He's going to judge the sin. If the person doesn't respond to the gospel. But in the gospel, His righteousness is revealed. And that righteousness is that God is on His throne. He rules and He reigns. And He's going to judge the wicked, but He's made a way for people to be justified or to be in a right relationship with Him. Let's look at another one. This is in Isaiah. We're going to go to Isaiah 51, 4 through 8. I'll close. I wasn't planning on preaching this long this morning. But I just tell you, the book of Romans is not good. Isaiah 51, verse 4. Hearken unto me, my people, and give ear unto me, O my nation. For a law shall proceed from me, and I will make my judgment to rest for light. My righteousness is near. My salvation is gone forth. Mine arms shall judge the people. The owls shall wait upon me, and mine arms shall they trust. Lift up your eyes to the heavens 
and look upon the earth beneath, for the heavens shall vanish away like smoke, and the earth shall wax old like a garment, and they that dwell therein shall die in like manner, but my salvation shall be forever, and my righteous shall not be abolished. And then Isaiah 56, verse 10. There's another verse there we'll look at as well. Isaiah 56. Let's just do verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice, for my salvation is near to come, my righteousness to be revealed. And then verses 10 through 12. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs which can never have enough. They are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they. I will fetch wine and will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day and much more abundant. Now what is God saying? He talks about salvation in connection to righteousness. Then he ends it with unworthy people. What is he saying? He's saying every one of us are unworthy. We don't deserve it. But he is literally coming to give his people righteousness. He comes to the unworthy, the ones that he just talked about in a very horrible way. Not that he is horrible what their life was like was horrible and he says here's what I'll give you if you'll receive it you're unworthy but I'll put you in right relationship with me I will give you justification I will justify my people through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ Father we thank you today for your glorious word as we began this study in the book of Romans, Father, I pray that You will lead us and guide us into all truth. Let us not just hear it with the ears, but let us receive it with our heart. Thank You, God, for this great, great truth that You have given to us in this amazing book, the book of Romans. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.